Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Always lots to talk about in the sporting world after a uh, weekend, and we will do that mm-hmm. t- today. Here's Julie Bob McCowan, John Shannon with you on the Bob McCowan podcast. And um, a couple of baseball guys, Dave Perkins and Rob Longley, will join us. And of course, we'll talk about uh, baseball, the Blue Jays, the New York Yankees, the Dodgers, and the game in general. But the Canadian Open turned out to be a more significant and more interesting event than it usually is, I must confess, even as a golfer. And we'll address that with these guys because um, both of them play the game and like the game. And we'll talk about what happened and the impact overseas of the first Live Tour event and a bunch of stuff. Longley, Perkins, when we come back after these messages. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. McCowan and Shannon back with you. And uh, Dave Perkins, Rob Longley join us. We'll talk baseball a little bit, but we also have to talk a bit about golf and the Canadian Open on the weekend, which was uh, quite an event. Um, well, I guess the story of the weekend was the kid, uh, Gabriel Moreno, comes up from Buffalo, and he was he was in town, I guess, Friday, in Detroit on Friday, but mm-hmm. didn't play Friday, but then caught two consecutive days. Longley, you were there. I find that pretty surprising. Not, not that he played a game or caught a game, but that he caught two in a row. Did you ask about it? What was the explanation for that? Yeah, so he he actually showed up Thursday, which was their off day, and, and essentially he began like a really intense tutorial, um, getting ready for what was going to be two um, games catching. That was the plan all along. But what I found fast, and I did ask about it, Bob. But what I found fascinating about it is they've actually been preparing for this for a good three or four weeks. They've been sending him videos of all of the J starters, or certainly the J starters that they expected he might catch. And, and ha- we're basically having daily contact with them, trying to to, to prepare him for that moment. Um, you know, they, obviously they didn't put him in Friday's game because they, again, they wanted him to catch a couple of bullpens of guys and just sort of get up to speed that way. But um, I think the mindset from the manager in the front office was, if we're going to call this kid up, we're going to play him, and we're not going to play him as a DH. And to me, what that spoke to is everybody kind of knows the kid can hit, but. They think he could catch too, and he he showed a little bit of that with the, the really good arm that he had. And um, first guy that he ca- he caught Gosman, he didn't shake off too much. He shook he shook off Stripling a little bit more, or Strip, Stripling shook him off a little bit more on Sunday. But the kid handled it with poise, and I guess they believed he could do that. Parker creates an interesting situation when Jansen comes back, um, and I I know that'll be a while. 
But what do you do then? Do you make Kirk the full-time DH? Well, I, I imagine they do. I, I, I mean, you never have too many good players. So don't, uh, I, I don't worry about having too many good players. Like, I mean, this guy's after two games, uh, what they said today's Monday. I imagine he'd be in the Hall of Fame by about Thursday, the way, <laughs> the way they're uh, rolling, but uh, you know, the way they're they're uh, buttering this guy up. But anyway, that's that's good luck to him. Let's see if he's a you know, the last prospect that they that they went this crazy about was Nate Pearson. So let's hope that uh, it works out a little better for uh, this young fella. I mean. Everybody says he can he can hit, and everybody says he can catch. So all he has to do now is, is uh, prove it. Well, one of the intriguing things about it is you now have three guys as catchers when Jansen comes back, who apparently can all hit. Uh, Jansen has found some power that he didn't hasn't demonstrated previously in his major league career. Uh, Kirk's hitting three twenty plus, and if the kid hits. You've got three choices for DH. I don't think this team has has this team ever with any kind of consistently consistency used a catcher as the DH longly ever. Not no, not that I could think of. Um, and I think that's the, the fact that they're doing this is a testament to what they believe Kirk could do, especially right because they know that physically he's not a guy that can catch three or four or five games a week. He's sort of a one or two day a week guy. And the way Charlie Montoyo likes to use his DH is to spell guys, give guys days off. So it's, you know, he'll give he'll give Teoscar a day off. He'll give uh, um, Vladdy a day off uh, and, and, and then have the rest of those um, days filled by the catcher, apparently. Um, it does create like an embarrassment of riches, I suppose. And, and the logical thought would be that maybe they trade one of these guys at, a, at the de- deadline to get a starter or some bullpen help. But I don't see that that's what they're going to do. I think they're quite comfortable having three catchers on the roster, especially if all three of them can hit, and it's a real anomaly. Do we spend too much time worried about left-handed versus right-handed perk? Apparently, they don't. They're not. So, uh, uh, I mean, I, if they're going to carry three catchers, they're not going to be able to carry twenty-eight pitchers or whatever it is that you know they're, they're in love with. Uh, with 14 relievers or, or, you know, whatever the size of the pitching staff is, you just, you got to go down one if you're going to carry three catchers because you do need the fourth outfielder. You do need kind of a, a guy, somebody who can play the infield somewhere. Like uh, I guess Biggio's the guy that they're going to patch into six different positions. So, or seven, I, I guess if you count three in the infield and, you know, two, two and three in the outfield, but mm-hmm. um, you, it's, it is a bit of a juggling act. If you're going to carry three pitchers, I, everybody needs catching it, to me. If you're going to make a trade, they need another pitcher, uh, especially with Ryu gone. So uh, if, and Kikuchi is God only knows what you get this week. So I would be thinking about a trade, but I mean, they know all that. They, they know what they're doing that way. Um, talk about Vladdy a little bit. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about him. And, um, I quite frankly, am shocked. I bought into the notion that, uh, Vladimir Guerrero was going to be a great hitter, uh, both with power and with average, um, for his entire career. And he's hitting around 250, um, shown some signs of maybe being a little bit better, but he really isn't. I mean, um, 
Can anybody point out what is going on with him? And, and we'll talk about the specifics later on, but what do you see Longley in him? Uh, something's up with him. Um, yeah, he hit his 14th home run yesterday and that, that leads the team. Um, it's below what the sort of the pace that he hit last year and it's credible enough, but as you said, Bob, he's not hitting for average enough. And what we're seeing is, um, you know, it seems like he's chasing a lot of pitches and I don't completely buy it's all due to the fact that he's being pitched differently. I'm sure he is, but you know, that didn't seem to bother him last year. He seemed to be able to adapt and slap singles to the opposite field and even hit home runs to the opposite field. So uh, whether it's his approach or his confidence or, or something more, like I noticed in Detroit that when they DH'd him on Saturday, that was the second day, second game in a row that he'd been DH'd plus an off day in between. Does that mean there's something physically wrong with him? I don't know. He seems to be getting a lot of treatment. He seems to be, he's always doing his crazy burial things in the dugout, but he seems to be much more frustrated after a poor at bat. And I, you know, I, I don't know if it's in his head or if there's something that fundamental that's going on with him. Perk, the thing that I see with him, you know, when he came up, everybody talked about, he was how unlike his daddy was, his father would chase everything and usually could hit everything. It didn't matter whether it was in the dirt, a foot outside, wherever it was, if he wanted to swing, he'd put his bat on it. This guy was far more disciplined, it appeared, didn't chase pitches, had a pretty good eye, and when you gave him something um, you know, in his wheelhouse, he didn't miss very often. Well, he's chasing a lot more, mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem to be getting significantly better. Have you noticed the same thing? Yeah. It, it, to me, the biggest difference is now he seems to only hit mistakes. Uh, he's had one really good game this year. He, he, he hit the three bombs in New York, a couple of them off coal, and a couple of them were really good pitches. And since then, to me, he only seems to, to punish mistakes. Uh, he's, he's a different-looking hitter than last year, no question. I mean, nobody thought this guy had hit 248 or whatever or whatever he said. And and he got a bunch of walks earlier, but he, he isn't getting so many walks right now. I I just don't know, uh, you know, what's bothering him. And I mean, there's rumors, there's all kinds of stuff out there, but I have, I have no idea what, uh, what's bothering him, except that, as, as we say, he just, you know, he still punished mistakes. He hit one 400 and some odd feet yesterday. But beyond that, he's not the same hitter. One of the things I've noticed is he's hitting the ball into the ground an awful lot, an awful lot. And, um, I am, I am by no means a hitting coach, but if I'm a power hitter like him, I'd much rather he was missing with fly balls than, than hitting the ball in the ground. Wouldn't you guys? Yeah. He's gone through that earlier in his career too. You know, a real ground ball sharp, like he hits it hard, but he hits it along the ground. I mean, how many choppers to the mound and third, second base shortstop can you hit? But he, in the past, he's worked his way out of that. Now, I don't know if it's something you take care of in the batting cage or you do it by video. I don't know. Like, I don't know how coachable the guy is. It seems like for so much of his career, so much of his time playing baseball, he's just relied on his physical talents. But sometimes the, uh, this game is so technical now. And, 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 you know, pitchers, they study hitters like never before. And if they're finding a way to make him hit ground balls and he's got to find a way to work his way out of it and hit long Fly balls that usually go out of the ballpark. I think you, you nailed it, Bob. He's he's hitting it along the ground way too much, um, like like he did when he struggled earlier in his career. The trick is, does he fight his way out of it this time? The the remember a month ago when they weren't hitting at all. 
Yeah, I mean they were they were just terrible. Everybody in the team had a like a two eighty on base average. They were they were terrible. And I talked to a guy, I'll just say a former major leaguer. I, I don't want to use a name, who said, "I'll tell you what's wrong with this team is they got three hitting coaches. They got too many hitting coaches, and everybody's got a different approach every at bat depending on the last guy they talked to." Now that's a, that's a gross generalization. But I thought, well, there might be something to this because this team was supposed to be a 900-run team and they were scoring like a 620-run team. So uh, there was some reason for it. Now, the past month they played some awful teams and they've beaten them up and, they, and they're catching teams going bad, like the Angels were in the middle of a 14-game losing streak. And they, you know, they, so once they got, you know, some of the weaker opposition, lousier pitching staffs, the offense came to life, but but I I hark back to what I was said, and I thought eh, to me that makes sense. Wait, wait, is this a case though of I mean this team is 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 pretty good right now, and are we trying to compare them to how good the Yankees are? Does that become part of the challenge too? Not to me. It, it, there's six teams make the playoffs, and there's only eight teams trying in the American League, so. You know, you only got to beat two teams to make the playoffs because there's seven teams that have already mailed it in. Right. So, you know, I'm I'm not worried about that part. I I'm, I think it's going to be like last year where four teams in the in American League East win 90 games. You know, the Red Red Sox are hot, so uh, Tampa always wins 90. Yankees, if they play 500, they they'll win what 104 or something like like it's it's crazy. So it. You know, I'm not worried about what the win total is. You, you just got to make the playoffs, period. Yeah, if the season ended right now, all f- I mean, there'd be four American League East teams in the, in the playoffs. That's how strong the division is, right? And, you know, they haven't played Baltimore. They start that tonight, first of 19 games against Baltimore, and you would hope that they would make up some ground along the way. Um, but they're on, on pace to win 95, 96 games. It's not as if they're... It's not as if they're they're struggling really. It's just that they're not living up to expectations in certain areas. Um, are the Yankees going to hit a lull at some point? You would think so, right? But they're starting to pull away a little bit right now. Um, More than a little, yeah. Actually, I'm look at uh, and I want to talk about the Yankees a bit while we're on the subject because I don't know about I don't remember predictions and they don't really matter. But I certainly didn't think the Yankees were going to be this juggernaut. And I don't know anybody that did. When you talked at the beginning of the season to the general baseball media and the guys who do predictions, it was Dodgers and Blue Jays were the two teams that everybody talked about. I'm not saying nobody mentioned the Yankees or underrated the Yankees, but I sure didn't expect this because they're, you know, maybe they won't be, but... (laughs) Maybe they are a team that contends for, you know, the most wins in a season. They're on a pace to do something like that. You know, 115 wins plus is is not out of the question. What is it about this Yankee team that you guys have discovered that we missed, I guess, at the beginning of the season? Rob, to you first. It probably started pitching. I mean, if Garrett Cole is your fourth best starters, you know, by basically by performance so far, you're doing pretty darn good, right? I don't think anybody expected that rotation to be nearly that strong. I think, in fact, many people thought it was going to be a weakness of this team. 
Um, but that, you know, you got to put a little bit of a caveat and asterisk around them too, because they have had a considerably more lightweight schedule than the Blue Jays. And I know you can only beat who you, who you're, you're up against on a given day, but man, there's six, almost 60 games into this. So, that you, you know, you, you got to believe that there's, that's a fairly accurate type of form that they're showing right now. The team could always hit, they're getting starting pitching now and a pretty good dynamic in the bullpen in, in terms of guys that can go six, seven, eight, nine inning of nine innings or the sixth, seventh and eighth and ninth inning. So the, the pitching is what's doing it for them in getting to this type of a record. Anyway, they could always hit, they're always going to win games with, with their bats, but the, the starting pitching is what's making the record. So, so impressive at this point. Perk, I don't see a flaw with this Yankee team. Do you? Well, it, it, they're much better than I thought they were beginning of the year. Their under over win total was 93 and a half and the Blue Jays was 91 and a half. So there was not that much to choose between them. And ultimately there may not be that much, but uh, as as Robbie points out, the the Yankees starting pitching is way better than I thought it was. But, but to me, the the main thing is they catch the ball. Now Mm -hmm. their defense has gone from the worst in baseball to one of the best Kiner Falefa, much better at shortstop that puts Torres back at second where he belongs. And to me, the big thing is they got rid of Gary Sanchez, who yeah. I would say is the worst catcher I have ever seen in the major leagues. <coughs> the worst Come on. defensive. W- w- worse than JP Aaron Sebia? Well, it, <laughs> it, yeah, but Aaron Sebia basically had a cup of coffee. And Sanchez well, was how many years? Yeah. But but I mean Sanchez was was regressing. And yeah. every year they changed the catching coach. Every year they changed the catching codes for like four years and he kept getting worse. Uh, anyway, it's it, the two catchers they got have been are, are much better defensively. The pitching staff is better. They catch the ball. The outfield defense is terrific. Gallo, everybody as hopeless as Gallo is as a strikeout artist, he's a very good left fielder. Judge is a very good right fielder and Judge uh, can even play center field. So their their defense is much much better. Pardon me for that. No problem. Well, <clears throat> I anyway, it, it, the defense to me has made the pitching better, and, and but it's a long season. There's still a hundred games to go. I don't see anybody catching the Yankees. With all due respect, I mean anything can happen, but uh, I I believe I've seen enough to believe, and Tampa will hang around, be, and and you'll be you'll shake your head or scratch your, your head and say, I don't know how they do it with the lineup that they have, but they do it every year. So mm-hmm. there's no reason to believe they won't do it again this year. They'll probably battle the blue Jays for second and Boston will finish fourth. And that'll be the end of that. And probably all four of them will get into the, well, it, uh, the and wasn't, wasn't that long ago, Bob, that the Red Sox were well under 500. I'll have to and, call you back. Sorry. And they're, uh, well, they, yeah. they're in, uh, they they played really. I'm on with <laughs> they, they played really good baseball I'll back. Back. <laughs> in the last uh, few years, so or last few weeks rather. So, Perk, everything okay, Perk? Sorry, that was beast. That was beast. Was calling about. We got something on the go tomorrow night. So I. Well, that was very <laughs> subtle. Me, I apologize. Well, tell them to come on. <laughs> Should have just invited them to join hello. us. Tell them to join the Zoom call. I don't, if I knew how to mute the phone, I would. All right. Uh, <laughs> Clearly. Fair enough. I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, if I ever muted it, it would never start again. So it's my fault. 
Uh, most fans don't follow the uh, National League West very carefully uh, because the games all start at 10 o'clock or 10.30 at night, mostly. But um, are you surprised the Dodgers are getting a bit of a run here? San Diego, San Francisco, kind of right there? Either Dodgers are all – Dodgers have got a lot of pitching injuries. You know, Walker Bueller – Sure. You hate to say it, he might be done. And, uh, you know, Kershaw was out. Kershaw had just come back. So uh, nobody thought Anderson and uh, the other guy, they thought they'd be, a, a you know, a Gonsolin and Anderson would be kind of the combined fifth starter. And they're the two best pitchers. So, I mean, they're getting a little bit of, uh, of uh, you know, help from unseen or unexpected sources. At this point, with their injuries, I mean, San Diego and the Giants are pretty good clubs, so could be interesting. We should we shouldn't be surprised about the Padres. They, finally, they're playing after spending all this money, right? Well, I think that's why we should be surprised because they they spent all the money last year, really, and looked like they you know they wanted to be they wanted to be in it and got blown away. They were I don't know did they make it to five hundred even on the year? They were somewhere around five hundred, I think, right around there. Um, yeah, and. Uh, I wasn't that optimistic about the Padres. I thought they'd failed again this time by spending money rather than trading away their best players, but they're playing well. Mm-hmm. Longley, your thoughts? Yeah, the Dodgers, I mean, they're, maybe they're not living up in, to expectations in terms of pulling away from the competition, but they're still 37 and 23, and they're not playing their best baseball, and they've had some issues with the with the, with the rotation. Maybe some of these guys are getting a little bit long in the tooth, but but my impression of the Dodgers organization is that they're they're a team that's going to continue to replenish. They draft well, they develop well. Um, they may be going through a little bit of a blip here, but it certainly makes it certainly makes the National League a lot more interesting when there's when there's an actual competition in their division because we haven't seen that in a few years. They just usually by the All Star uh, All Star break they're home and cooled out, right? And and that's not going to be the the, the case this year. And yeah, credit to credit to the Padres. That talent and that money they're spending is, is starting to pay off, and they're getting a little bit of, um, of of solid pitching as well, and that's 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 keeping them in that race. Uh, boys, I want to talk a little bit about um, the uh, Canadian Open uh, Golf Championship, which was uh, played this past weekend at St. George's here in Toronto, amidst a um, an interesting backdrop, and we'll uh, talk about both of those things when we come back. After these messages, it's McCowan, it's Shannon with uh, Dave Perkins, Rob Longley. Uh, the uh, Canadian Open Golf Championship uh, returned to Canada after, I don't know, is it a two year absence or a three year absence? Was 2019 was the last uh, champion when yeah, Rory I guess, won. So. I guess it's three years. Yeah. Um, and it was in Hamilton last time it was competed here, and um, Rory McElroy won it. And came back, as we all know, and did it again this year, although he had a little more, it was a little more nervous this time. He won comfortably in Hamilton, uh, but got a real level of competition from uh, Thomas um, at St. George's. Let's talk about how great this tournament actually was, because it isn't that often that you get a Canadian Open that's truly memorable. First of all, I think the field was probably the best field they've had probably since the 70s, back when Nicholas and Trevino and a whole bunch of other guys used to play in, the, in this championship. Yeah. Perk, you, I know you you follow it closely. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. It, uh, I mean, 
you know, way back when, when we were all children, the, the Canadian Open was a big event because golf was different. And there was only, you know, like 22, 24 tournaments a year. And everybody kind of played in all of them, you know, the Palmers and the Necklaces and, mm-hmm. and you know, guys like that. And then golf went crazy, expanding. Now, the, you know, the top guys only play 20 times a year. So uh, Canadian Open was one of those tournaments that, kind of went down a size because the majors got so big and and to have them in the fields like there was this week i think this might have been a happy accident of of the start of the saudi arabian golf league uh i think that the pga tour was promoting you know play in this tournament because let's let's give them a good show boys because uh, the the new kids are starting the new the new circuits is starting. So I think this might've been a happy accident of timing. And the fact that it's a week before the U S open, you know, it wipes out a, a certain number of people who won't play the week before a major, but it now adds a whole bunch of people like Rory McElroy and Justin Thomas, who will play the week before a major and want to play the week before a major. So I, I, I mean, the timing was good. The field was good. The golf course, they love this kind of golf course, the old style golf course. So I think that's all added up to one, one really, really good field. And, uh, you know, I know Charles Schwartzel wasn't there, but uh, it's okay the way it was. <laughs> Longly, your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with Perk. I think it was a confluence of, a, of a, a, a number of things. I mean, obviously having Rory as your defending champion, and he, and he, he likes to play a week before the, for a major as well as does Thomas. Um, but I really think that the commissioner had something to do with this too, saying, you know what, boys, if we're ever going to shine, this is going to be the week that we got to do it when these, when these clowns are uh, starting their starting their rival tour. Um, U.S. Open next week in Brookline uh, even adds to the appeal because when you play a kind of an old school course like St. George's, much like Brookline is, these guys really want to want to test their game on it. And I don't know if the word was out that they were going to let the rough go grow because I mean, obviously, St. George's was defenseless in some ways. Guys were shooting 62s and 63s in a 60 on Sunday. But when you're getting you're replicating those conditions when you're playing out of rough like these guys had to play out of. So I think it was a confluence of all of those things. And and I think more importantly, um, judging by the way the fans went kind of crazy out there, I think it might serve the U.S. or the Canadian Open rather well going forward. I mean, it, it may become it may regain some of that status that it used to have back in the seventies and early eighties. Well, they, listen, they had uh, some attendance records, including Friday. They had more than 30,000 people out at St. George's uh, on Friday to, to watch, which was supposed to be the only good weather day. It actually proved out to be a pretty good weather weekend. And Perk, they got, they lucked out by having to change to the threes and putting Finau and Thomas and Rory in the same threesome to finish that ended up being the best storyline of the of the week, didn't it? You couldn't. Uh, it's almost hard to say. You couldn't put together a better group. I, I mean, Finau may not be in the top five in the world like those other guys are top six in the world, whatever it is. But he's a crowd pleaser. He's a very popular guy. And another guy hits at nine miles, so everybody likes to watch Finau. And uh, what a great, terrific group that was. It was really, really. It, it kind of reminded me. Of, of the old days when the last group of a major was always going to be woods and mm-hmm. usually somebody good. And, and I mean, this was, you couldn't ask for better than McElroy. I mean, 
you know, sure, there may be a higher ranked player in the world, but there, there's nobody, not many you'd rather watch. Uh, how, about, how about this, Perk? Remember that time when you bogeyed two of the last three to shoot 90? Justin Rose bogeyed two of the last three to shoot 60. 60, 60. yeah. Well, let me, let, me ask you the, let me ask you that Perfect. question. Does, does, does shooting low 60s hurt the credibility of the tournament, Rob, Dave? I don't know if it does. Like I said earlier, um, I, I think they, the, you know, the, the, the two defenses that St. George has always had was you could grow the rough a little bit and the greens, right? Mm-hmm. But they rebuilt those greens because because when Stanley Thompson designed them, the, he wasn't designing them to have them, you know, play lightning speed on the stint meter. The, the, the greens were different back then. So maybe St. George's isn't as tough as what as what it used to be, but you could go the other way and argue. I mean, the way that final round unfolded, guys making birdies and guys making runs and such an exciting final three. So maybe it'll be good for the tournament. And as Perk mentioned off the top, it was, you know, these guys like playing those kind of golf courses, superb conditions, great design, great classic old layout. Guys still like playing those kind of things. It, it, it separates itself from your average run of the mill weekly PGA tournament. Well, and- and the rain, you remember, the rain softened yeah. those greens, yeah. and a that lot. makes a huge difference. Well, sure. and there was no wind. In fact, the conditions were virtually ideal every day, but probably Friday. Friday was a little tougher. Right. But even Thursday, you know, seven under was the best score, I think, and there weren't a lot of guys under par. Um, it was. I thought the con- I thought the, the golf course stood up. Um, and then what was the what was what was the leader after day two? Nine. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, you it's can a regular, regular kind of tour event. Yeah. And then, then you got a little bit of rain. Like if you had a lot of rain, it would have impacted them, but you had the perfect amount for scoring. You had a little bit of rain, softened the fairways, softened the greens. Um, and then a little bit of rain Saturday night to set it up for, for Sunday. <laughs> but the interesting thing that I saw too, and I, I haven't looked carefully at it. I don't know whether either of you two guys have. We spent, if you watched it on television, on CBS, you saw almost, every, well, you saw every shot the last group played mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and almost nothing from anybody else. Um, did we see Corey Connors take a shot? I, I, we did see them on, uh, he, we did see him on 18, Bob. Well, out, yeah. um, and he shot 62. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's the way it goes on the tour. Uh, and I'm, uh, these three guys, what were they under? They were 24 well, under, something like that, 22 under between the three of them. And if you look at the rest of the field, I think overall they were like 120 under for the uh, for the for Sunday's round. So not everybody tore it up. You know, there were guys who had trouble out there. Um if, well, if guys, I, well, guys were shooting. Guys were shooting sixty-six and dropping. Yeah, out of contention. Yeah, moving down five spots. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if I can, if I can just uh, you know, back up for one second. I was lucky enough in my life to cover fifty-eight major tournaments. All right, fifty-eight, and I can tell you, the ones that that everybody loved the most are the ones where golfers make birdies and eagles. It's a the most boring tournament kind of is always the U.S. Open because what happens there is the USGA is determined to make par the winning score, and the tournament's won by the guy who makes the most eight-foot par saves. 
And when a guy makes an eight-foot par save, you hear this everywhere. When a guy makes a birdie or an eagle and charges, the place goes nuts. The fans love it. It's, it's compelling. It's much more compelling to watch. I mean, the British Open, greatest tournament in the world because they never care what the score is. They just want to identify the best golfer. Conditions will identify the best golfer. And if, if the weather's good, the score will be under par. Nobody cares. And Augusta National for many years was 18, 20 under par. Everybody loved it. Birdies and eagles, the back nine, you could shoot 30 in the back nine, make up ground. It was great. And then Augusta went crazy and tightened everything up, trying to make par a good score. Mm -hmm. And then they went back to hell with it. Let's make birdies and eagles. People love it. And so to me, that's the kind of golf people want to watch. You want to see McElroy and, and Thomas and, and Connors and all these guys making birdies and eagles. That's what makes them so great to watch. Yeah, in theory, you, you don't have to cheapen it. You can you can have Sunday pins, and and, and that's fine. And and that identifies the best player anyway, right? The guys sure. who are hitting shots into Sunday pins, they can still go low, but at that point, they've earned it. I thought that's the Sunday true. pins were pretty easy to tell you the truth. Uh, they weren't nearly as tough or severe as they were, uh, or they could have been, in my opinion. But I thought they'd really tuck them. But as it turned out, it was great entertainment. The question is. Do you go back to St. George's? Did the players love it enough? It's a Stanley Thompson course. It's an old golf course, a hundred year old golf course. It's a traditional golf course. Um, you can't lengthen it. They've lengthened it as much as they can to barely get it over 7,000. Uh, you could tighten the fairways, but they were pretty tight. Anyway, you could grow the rough, but they already did that. It was probably six inches deep in some spots on Sunday. Is it a good golf course for the Canadian Open? What do you guys think? I think it's a great golf course for a lot of reasons, but there are certainly some there, there are some issues. I mean, they don't have a driving range there, right? Mm -hmm. So they bust the guys down just down the road to Islington and and where they've set where they set up a range there. But you got you you got to know that there's a number of players that didn't like that too much, even if it's just a ten minute ride down the road. It's not that far. Um, but on the other side of that coin you read some of the comments about how much the players enjoy Toronto. Like uh, Shane Lowry couldn't talk enough about the good restaurants he went to. Sa same with Tony Finau. So, you know, maybe they, I think, I think they appreciate what Toronto has to offer in terms of, you know, sort of the, the dining possibilities, the multicultural possibilities. And they seem to really li lap that part of it up. I, I, I imagine a, a good number of them stayed right downtown. So, mm. so they would have been able to have a decent experience that way. Um, and in the GTA, I know they're going to go to Oakdale in a couple of years. That'll be interesting. But, you know, I, I think that they could handle putting St. George's on, on part of a rotation anyways, because I think there was, there's enough appeal to, the appeal to the golf course, as we, we've discussed. Actually, it was funny. Ian Baker Finch on the broadcast mentioned that uh, it will be um, seven more years before uh, St. George's actually turns 100. And wouldn't it be great to be back for the centennial? Uh, that to me was the most logical thing, and you, and then you didn't want to be, you didn't want to, if, if you wait seven years, you didn't want to be there before that anyway, because then you're, you're you're too much of a cycle. So I mean, I, I suspect that we'll see it there for the hundredth anniversary. Particularly, RBC is still a a sponsor. Um, but the other thing was, it was, I, I think you know when Dustin Johnson announced his move to live, I think people were concerned, and I think by 
Friday at three o'clock, nobody cared. Nobody even right. noticed. I think that's as big a story as anything. Don't you, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. They, they, uh, you know, it's, you got to focus on who is here playing rather than who isn't here. And, and the, who he, that was here playing was terrific. So that's end of story. You, you, don't worry about who's not here. It, it, well, that. I think, to, I think next year is going to be a really interesting year because I think you're right, Perk, both of you actually, who, you know, who commented the commissioner probably made more than a few phone calls, encouraging guys to go to Toronto mm-hmm. this weekend because of the live tour. And I think that's absolutely true. In fact, the commissioner himself showed up, which doesn't happen with any kind of regularity, and went on CBS with Jim Nance and spent, had an extended interview with him. Didn't say that much, but obviously he had an agenda in coming to Toronto. Um, what happens next year when this kind of pressure is not on and the U.S. Open is once again the following week? And where do they play next year? Does anybody know? Hamilton, isn't it? Are they back in ham- back in Hamilton? Well, that's a that's a course not dissimilar to St. George's in many ways. It's an old style golf course, and the players do seem to like it. But I I think it'll be really intriguing to see whether you get the same quality of field or whether this was just a just kind of a one off. Um, we also have to see what happens with the Saudi golf league. Right. I mean, I I expect the Saudis to lose interest after they they pay off Trump. Right after they play at the Trump course for their last event, and they and they have a love in with Trump, and Trump will love them because he probably owes them money too, you know. But I think at the end of the season, the Saudis might just lose interest. Like, you know, they've 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 had these other grand sporting dreams, and they they tend to move on for the, to the next one. Well, this is the intriguing thing and that people should remember is that this is not based on an economic model. Most no. times when there is expansion of uh, or a competitive league in any sport, they have a game plan to make money, at least after a period of time. And if they fail to accomplish that, they give up. Generally, that's what happens. The Saudis, on the other hand, have apparently committed $3 billion to this. There is no chance they can make money either now or at any time in the future. And they, I don't think they care. I've told the story before of a friend of mine who, who got a commitment for $1 trillion from the Saudis for a series of business enterprises, a trillion dollars. This is 3 billion. This is to these guys, this is pennies. And I think they're just in it for fun and giggles and ego, but you might be right, Perk. Um, they might get bored with this. And sure. I don't think, I don't know about you guys, but if you look at the field, yeah, the PGA Tour lost a few fairly significant guys. I don't know whether you still consider Mickelson significant, but maybe. He's a senior. He he's is. He's a senior. He, and, I mean, and, they, but he's still Phil Mickelson, uh, Dave. He's still. He's, he's only still, a year or so away from winning a major. I get so, it. But, he's a name. I get it. He's going mean, to tell you what, he's going to have to he's going to have to answer a lot of questions this week in Brookline. And there's no and and who that that to me how he manages uh, the public opinion this week will be will be fascinating to see what happens and 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 what the crowd reactions to Phil because I mean Phil for some reason in the last few years has become a fan favorite again uh, probably because of his age and the fact that he can still win. 
Um, but to me, that's how, how this how this uh, this fan base will react to him. Remember, this week's his birthday, too. They usually sing happy birthday to Phil at the open. I wonder if they'll sing this year. Well, I'm betting he gets booed. What do you guys think? I think there'll be I think there'll be some of that for sure. But you know what I wonder, though, guys, is like. What is going to be the appeal of this live going forward? I think like we were all intrigued by what was going to happen this week, um, the names that were there, the money that was spent, and that that was a, certainly a news story, right? It's been a news story for for a month now. But going forward, is anybody going to watch this stuff? Like, oh, they need a TV deal, Rob. They they yeah, need a TV deal. Yeah, you can watch it online. It's on YouTube and Facebook, and yeah, I guess it's there's some minor TV deals. But without that, what you know, what's what's the appeal going to be? And if that happens and nobody's get, if they're not getting the attention to go with the money, are the egos that these guys have going to start to say, oh, you know, maybe I should go back to North America? Well, if you have all that money and you can still play in at least three of the majors, because let's right. face it, some of those guys, all they only want to do is play in the majors. Yeah, they play three. They play a handful of other events in the majors, right? So right. to them, that that that's enough. what's the difference? Yeah, What's exactly. the difference whether you play in this one and eight in this one or 10 in this one, if it's next year, they, they expand right. the tournament base. You well, know, who knows? Is the open championship going to allow them to play? Yeah, because it's like Augusta that it, once you win, you, you're always coming back. So, you know, you're well, until you get the letter, until you get the screw off letter, you're always coming back. Uh, you know, same thing with the open championship. So, they're not going to change because all the majors are owned independently. They're not going to change the criteria on past champions and who's eligible. That I don't think that's going to happen, but gradually, you know, ranking points and things will change mm-hmm. the dynamics of these fields. That's all. And, and, and look at the guys who've gone, a lot of guys in their forties who really couldn't cut it on the, on the big tour anymore, you know, Usti and Schwarzling and and McDowell and guys like that, the one hit wonders. And Johnson is is the big guy. Uh, DeChambeau has been hurt for months, uh, and he's kooky anyway. So it, uh, I mean, it's I can see why they want to go and get the hundreds of millions of dollars. They don't care about blood money. These guys in a in a different life. Two hundred years ago, they'd have sold disease blankets to the Indians if there was a bucket in for them. I mean, I mean that's just the way it is with these guys. You know what I mean? Like, like they want the money. Fine, they got the money. But all the, the and like you say, if there's booze that come, they've bought that too. Well, I think the really interesting thing is how long do the Saudis keep pouring money into this thing? And right. and more importantly, what do other significant PGA tour guys do if this tour marches along through this year and gets through their eight or nine events with any level of success, are there more defectors next year? And how many of those would be significant? Cause as you said, perk, like Ian Poulter, I love Ian Poulter, but he's, he's not he's known a factor. For his pants. Yeah. He's known for his pants. Right. Yeah, he's not really a factor anymore. So him going there, I, I don't blame him. You know, go get the money if you want. Sure. Nobody's going to go to watch him. Um, but if you got two or three more stars, you know, maybe it starts to change things. I don't know. Yeah, you can be sure there's guys sitting back and watching to see how all oh, this yeah. unfolds, right? I mean, and and if it does get some traction and and, you know, what kind of money is still available and will I still be able to play 
the majors over here. There, there's definitely going to be a, at least a handful of, you know, relatively well-known players sort of sitting on their hands for now, but, uh, but listening to see what's, what's going to happen going forward. Well, we will watch my, with uh, great interest. Yeah, Perk. I was just going to say, my guess is there's a whole bunch of guys who are sitting there wondering if Tiger Woods signs with them. <laughs> because if Tiger signs, then a hundred more guys will because they know they'll never be talked about. Nobody will care about Joe Blow if Tiger's in the field next week. If Tiger's going to take the money, then it's safe for us. How Jay Monahan manages Tiger Woods is going to be a fascinating watch if we ever could get an inside look. Yep. Because you know you don't you don't want that to happen, do you? You know no. you, you don't want that to happen. No. Well, I wonder whether the, the, this is the thing that was strange to me. You know, when I heard about this tour at the beginning, I assumed all the events would be outside of North America, and the fact of the matter is, there are more inside North America than there are anywhere else in the world. And I wonder if they adjust that or shift that as um, as time progresses. And what would the PGA Tour have done if all, what are there, eight or nine events in this tour? Eight right now, I think. Um, what if all of them were outside of North America? What if there wasn't a direct competition um, other than date with any PGA Tour event? Would they have reacted? Would Monaghan and the Tour have reacted differently? I have to think they might have. And we wouldn't be going through this well, this cat fight and this unknowing as to what, what comes next, but, but we is, really don't. But is this any, I mean, politics aside, and that's a hard thing to push aside. Is this any different than the, the AFL and the NFL, the ABA and the NBA, the WHA and the NHL? Is it any different? Well, yeah. Politics because, aside, no politics, Bob. We got to get rid of the politics. No, no, but... You know, when the AFL, when any, when the WHA, the AFL came along, their choice was free agent players. That's all they could basically go after. And then a whole crap load of riffraff at the beginning. So they had a, f a handful of stars or starlets, and that was it. AFL was exactly the same thing. They could draft kids out of college, but they were young and inexperienced and didn't have big names. This theoretically every player on the pga tour well not even theoretically factually they are free agents they can go at any time not one of them is committed to playing the pga tour and if you want to throw around 50 million dollars to every player 100 million dollars to every player is a guarantee um in theory you can get everybody to go well further to that bob not only are they free agents they're all in independent independent contractors. contractors yeah so now you're giving them you now you're making them salaried employees and very well paid salaried employees but i think john made a great point earlier until you get a tv deal um what, what sort of traction are you going to get with this like would fox be able to get in like you, you can be sure that monaghan is saying to cbs and nbc uh-uh golf channel nope you guys aren't doing this um, but like, what, what if they were able to land somebody like Fox? Then does that sort of well, that, that to me that, with, with with Greg Norman's relationship with Rupert Murdoch already, yeah. um, and with and with the, the reach that Fox has, not just in North America, but you know, in Asia, uh, and with Sky in Europe, I mean, to me, that's the natural, and 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 it makes you wonder what's Fox waiting for. 
uh, if in fact now they got burned pretty badly on their last golf contract, That's like right. r- really badly right. uh, and embarrassed. Um, so you have to wonder about something like that as well. I, I but but I, I watched a little on YouTube on on Friday. Pictures look beautiful. They have they have a quality production group in charge of it. But you know they they average ninety three thousand viewers <laughs> worldwide. Wow. But you understand why the PGA Tour is fighting back. There are only so many sponsorship dollars. There are, you, know, you have your TV contracts, you have your sponsorship dollars, and nobody wants to give those up. I, I mean, we, we're, we all remember what happened when the WHA started. Who'd they go after? They went after Bobby Hull, yep. World Hockey Association. Remember that? Sure. And what, and what was the fallout? I mean, I, I was there in Winnipeg when, when Hull did his landed. You know, it was, it was tremendous. It was Bobby Hull's uh, Winnipeg Jet, blah, blah, blah. And what was the fallout? That well, they the, couldn't play Team Canada that fall against the Ruskies. That's right. Right? That, that's the first time anybody said, what do you mean he can't play? And, and all of a sudden, now you're going to hear the same thing. The first time the Americans lose the Ryder Cup, and everybody's going to say, well, we didn't have Dustin Johnson. We didn't have Patrick Reed. Uh-huh. We, did, we didn't have Bryson. You know what I mean? That's when the, 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 the first kind of, you know, backlash will come, I think. Yeah. Guys, we got to get out of here. We're late. Uh, we thank you very much for uh, your time and the conversation. We will hope to be able to do it again soon. Thanks, Perk. Thanks, Longley. Appreciate it. See you soon. Shannon and I will be back after these messages. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. We are back. McCown, Shannon, our thanks to uh, Rob Longley and Dave Perkins for uh, being with us. Anything Always we good. missed? I mean, on those topics, no. I, although I will tell you, uh, I, I was uh, out and about running some errands Saturday afternoon in a torrential downpour right beside Glen Abbey Golf Course. And I was, I was actually listening to uh, the tournament at that point on, on Sirius XM. <laughs> and I was thinking they wouldn't have been able to play Saturday if the, if they had, if they were at a Glen Abbey, cause it was absolutely vicious with thunder and lightning and they with got, rain. they got lucky. It was rain was predicted for both Saturday and Sunday. And, and basically they got nothing but sprinkles overnight. Both well, they, well, and they got lucky when they did adapt uh, the, the start times and the pairings for for Sunday by a, being able to put those three guys, the top three guys of the leaderboard together. And as you mentioned, uh, it made it easy for television coverage, didn't it? Because all you needed to do was stick with those three because one of those guys was going to win the tournament. Well, not only easy, but that's what that's what the U.S. television networks do every week. And And quite frankly, it does bother me a bit. I love the events where you get the chance to go to an alternate channel and watch a different group. Now you only get that at places like the masters. You might get it next week at the U S open. I don't know. And you get it, you get it at the open championship too. Yeah. But, but you know, I would have loved to see more of Corey Connors play. Yeah. He came came out of nowhere. He, I mean, he wasn't on the leaderboard. 
until probably five o'clock in the afternoon. Right. And even then he was only on the second sheet. Mm-hmm. And we literally saw him play what? Two shots, two shots and, uh, and, and miss a birdie putt for a 61 on 18. There you go. So, yeah, and it, it it is it is too bad. But until uh, Bob, this this goes to another point. You know, uh, I produced the Open for for four or five years, and we did a Canadian version. We did it side by side with with uh, at that point it was ESPN and then CBS. We did it side by side, and so there was a a version of Canadian golf coverage, and that doesn't occur anymore. They just take the American feed. Well, I don't, I'm not interested in watching Canadians just because they're in the tournament. But if you have a Canadian doing something significant or in contention, and there have been plenty of times where Corey Connors has been in contention and has had virtually no coverage. And I understand the American favoritism for Americans. Americans want to watch Americans. Mm-hmm. It's why the LPGA Tour has suffered so badly. With By the way, did you see who won this weekend uh, on the well, LPGA? Yeah. yeah. Brooke Anderson her 11th victory, and she came from nowhere to do it. And I didn't watch any of the coverage, but I'm guessing she probably was on for a minimal period of time. I don't know. She, she, it was a winning putt on the 18th hole. I think she was on. Well, it was a putt to get into a playoff. Yeah. So I mean, they, she, she, was, she was good all weekend. She played well. But that, it, it's, it's funny how that happens, how many times a Canadian wins when there's another event going on. I still remember the day of, you know, the Salt Lake City Olympics. Who won the PGA tournament that weekend? Do you remember? Leggett. <laughs> that was oh, when really? Leggett won. Yeah. So we're 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 focused on one event and a Canadian, Brooke Henderson this weekend, Ian Leggett way back in two thousand two wins wins their own event. Was so that Phoenix or Tucson? I can't remember. I think it was it might have been Phoenix. Can't remember actually to tell you the truth. I'm See, sure if we had I, him on again, he'd let us know. Well, he'd remind us six times. Don't worry. Indeed. <laughs> uh, we got to get out of here. Uh, who do you like tonight in the basketball game? I like the Warriors now. Yeah, I, I do too. You know what? Draymond Green has not played well, and they're still winning. So I, Draymond Green's got to play better. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. We hope you'll join us for that. Until then, for John Shannon, Bob McCown. See ya. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.